God in heaven, we thank you for the way that you are moving among us today and in this season of our church's life. Lord, I, I pray today that we would learn even more deeply to surrender to you and to your will for our lives. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to us and your way for us in Samson's life as we look at his story today. In Christ's name, amen. So turn with me to Judges chapter 14. And we're going to be covering Judges 14 and 15 today. Uh, Samson gets a, a lot of attention in the book of Judges. His story is the longest story of all of the judges in, in the book. We learn more about his, his exploits and his life than any of the other judges. I was talking with Kevin Chandler uh, this week, and he asked me why I thought that Samson gets so much real estate in, in the book of Judges. Why don't we hear more about Ehud or Deborah or, or Shamgar? That guy gets one verse. He led Israel for a long time, but he gets one verse. Why don't we learn more about him and some of the things that he did? And of course, I, I don't, don't fully know that. But I think that one of the reasons why Samson gets so much attempt, attention is that he's this character that really epitomizes the nation of Israel at that time. In his life and in his personality, in the way that he responds to God and the way that God responds to him, it really epitomizes the life of Israel at this time. Like Israel, he was uniquely chosen by God. We heard about that last week and the whole story surrounding his birth. He was uniquely chosen by God. His life was holy. His life was set apart for a very unique purpose, just like Israel. Like Israel, he experiences God's miraculous works in his life. Like Israel, God does great things through him. And like Israel, he seems much more interested in the Canaanites than he does about what it means to be an Israelite. Like Israel, Samson is apathetic towards God. He spends most of his life ignoring God's plans and his purposes for him. We learn a lot about Samson, I think, because Samson is really the epitome of Israel at this time. Another reason that we learn so much about Samson is because in the story of Samson, God's loving kindness is on full display in his life. God has a plan for Samson. He has a purpose for Samson. And God loves Samson. God has bound himself to Samson for better or for worse. And most of Samson's life is for the worse. But God has bound himself to Samson. He has a purpose for him, and he loves him. God's loving kindness, his commitment to Samson, no matter what, is on full display in this story. The Hebrew word for loving kindness and commitment, God's loving kindness and commitment, is the Hebrew word hesed. I think it's actually pronounced hesed. But for the sake of the people in the front row, I will just pronounce it Hesed for this morning. Hesed. I've been learning for, from a couple weeks, for a couple weeks now from a, a couple men named Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. And they've been teaching me about this Hebrew word Hesed and all that it means. The Hebrew word 
hesed is really difficult to translate in English. Sometimes in our English Bibles, it's translated as mercy or love or loving kindness or compassion. But I think that this week I've been in my notes, I had um, all these different words that came to mind. And first, the first two words that I came up, that help, came up with that helped describe hesed were love and action. Love and action together. And then over the course of the week, there were just more words as I was studying the word hesed that came up. Love plus action plus affection plus loyalty plus mercy plus kindness plus generosity plus commitment and then plus foreverness. There's a a length of time, a commitment forever that comes out in this idea of hesed throughout the scriptures. It, It is a love that is steadfast and unwavering. It's both deep and wide. It's love without conditions. It's love that never, ever fails. It's love that endures forever. That is hesed. And the Bible tells us that God is overflowing with hesed. What a wonderful image. That God, the creator of the universe, the one who made you, the perfect and holy one, is overflowing with this kind of love for you and for me and for the world that he made. And his hesed overflows into the life of Samson over and over again. God has a purpose for Samson. He loves him with a hesed kind of love. He has bound himself to Samson with his hesed. And that's a real feat because Samson is a hard guy to love. Loving Samson with Hesed is one of God's greatest miracles, I want to suggest to you. You see, Samson in his life, Samson is for Samson. Samson is for Samson. Let's listen to the first story in the book of Judges from Judges chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 just to give you an introduction to the character of Samson uh, and, and what we see in the, the, really the rest of his story. Judges chapter 14, going to read verses 1 through 9. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Literally, she's the one that's right in my own eyes. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother about what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. 
Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Samson is for Samson. There are a few things here that I want to note and point out just in these nine verses about the character of Samson that really doesn't change through most of the story. The chapter begins with Samson seeing a Philistine woman and asking his parents to get her for him to be his wife. His parents, being good Israelites, know that this is against God's law, that Israelites are forbidden to marry the Canaanites. They try to talk him out of it, but Samson pays them no mind. She is the right one for me. She is right in my own eyes. And if you remember, this phrase is going to be the way that the book of Judges from this point on characterizes the attitude and posture of Israel about how they live. In the next few chapters, we're going to hear this refrain over and over again. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That phrase is introduced to us here in Samson's story. Samson, seeing this woman, pays no mind to God's law or to his parents' advice and guidance. She is right in my eyes, and that's enough for me. Samson is for Samson. The next scene is Samson walking through a vineyard. If you remember, Samson is a Nazarite, and there were particular uh, regulations and vows that the Nazarites took. A Nazarite was not supposed to drink wine or consume anything that came from a grapevine. And here is Samson casually walking through a vineyard. The text doesn't say that Samson was snacking on some grapes, but it's not an accident that the book of Judges would tell us that Samson, the Nazarite, is walking through a vineyard. He's supposed to stay away from anything associated with a vineyard, and here he is taking a stroll through one. Samson is, at the very least, being careless about the way of life that God has made for him. And while Samson is in this vineyard, he encounters a lion. He tears the lion apart with his own hands. He comes back later to take a look at his prize, this dead lion, and he finds that there's a swarm of bees that have made a home in the carcass of this dead lion. Another part of the Nazarite vow was to not to touch a dead body. And not only that, but eating something that had touched a dead body was against the Old Testament law. But again, Samson pays no mind. Samson digs his hand into the carcass of this dead body to enjoy some honey, breaking the Nazarite vow and the general law of God. And then on top of that, he takes some of that honey and he gives it to his parents and he doesn't tell them where he got it. And if they ate it, they would have been considered unclean according to the law. So not only does Samson damage his own relationship with God, but without care damages also his parents' relationship with God. This opening story tells us about the character of Samson. Samson is for Samson. And what I see in Samson is a man who not only ignores or is apathetic to God, apathetic to God's calling in his life, but there is this deliberate resistance to God throughout his story. 
Again, the Nazarites had three commitments, that uh, they would not touch a dead body, that they would not eat anything from a vineyard, nothing uh, from grapes, and that they would also not cut their hair. And throughout this story, he breaks all three. Samson is a man who's ruled by his passions. He sees the woman and he wants her and he talks his parents into getting her for him against their will. And this is just the first of three different women who have a great deal of control over Samson. Sexual lust in women motivate Samson over and over again. Honey for his mouth and for his stomach are so appealing to him that he digs it out of a rotting lion carcass. Not only is it against the law, it's just kind of gross. Throughout the story, we see Samson full of rage and anger responding to his enemies in revenge. He is a man ruled by his passions. He's controlled by sex, by the lust of his eyes, by his stomach, by his anger. Samson is concerned about himself and his desires before God or before his parents or before the people of Israel. Samson is for Samson. But God has bound himself to Samson with his hesed. The beginning of Samson's life, God set Samson apart for a purpose. God had a plan for Samson, and no matter what Samson did, God was going to fulfill his purposes in Samson's life. Throughout Samson's life, we see that God is with Samson. Early in his life, chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, it says that the woman, Samson's mother, gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Menea Dan between Zorah and Eshtalal. Frequently throughout the story, we hear that God's presence is with Samson. Frequently throughout the story, the Spirit of God is said to come on Samson in power and to enable him to do the things that he did to the Philistines. We see that God is working behind the scenes in Samson's life, even using his passions and his ugly desires for his own purposes. In Samson's desire for the Philistines, we are told that God has a purpose behind it, that God is going to use that as an occasion to confront the Philistines. God takes Samson's rage and his desire for vengeance, and he uses it to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Throughout the scriptures, we read that what God, what man intends for evil, that God intends for good. And God does that over and over again in Samson's life. We also see in this story that God is very personally responsive to Samson. There are two times in Samson's story when Samson demonstrates some awareness of God. Sometime when he prays to God, seeks God. And both times when Samson shows even the very least bit of openness to God, God is right by his side coming to Samson's aid. Look at Judges chapter 15, verse 18. This is right after Samson has taken a jawbone of a donkey and has killed 1,000 Canaanites with it. And in verse 18, it says this, Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? It's a pretty selfish prayer. 
Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he was revived. The story reminds me, the story of of Samson, tired and thirsty and exhausted, finally turning to God. It reminds me of, of the prodigal son. The, the moment when the prodigal son is, is there with among the pigs and he comes to the end of himself and he's exhausted and he's tired and he's thirsty and he turns around and he comes back home. And when he comes back home, the father is quick to run and to greet him. We're told that the prodigal son came to the end of himself and when he did, he turned to God. And that's what Samson does here. Samson comes to the end of himself. He is weary and out of strength. He is dying of thirst. And in that moment, he turns to God. And because of God's hesed, because of his love, he hears Samson and he comes and he helps Samson. He's ready to respond and he's kind to Samson. Samson is a, is a difficult character for me, and I think for most of us, to relate to. He's larger than life, he's big, he's brash, he's bold. There are a lot of biblical characters that when we read their story, we can kind of see ourselves in them, and we kind of relate to them. But there's this superhero quality about Samson that makes him seem so different than us. But I think there's at least two significant ways that you and I are very much like Samson. And the first is this, that God has bound himself to us with his hesed. His overflowing hesed overflows into your life. God's loyal, committed sort of love, his hesed is for you. Paul tells us that while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Loving you and me with hesed is one of God's great miracles because we were his enemies and he showed his love for us by sending Jesus. Hesed, God's unfailing, committed, loyal, never-ending love. It's what we were made for. It's what all of us want and need. It's the deepest desire of our hearts to experience hesed. And hesed is available to us in relationship with God who made us and who loves us. The second thing about Samson's life that I think we can relate to is that all of us spend most of our lives avoiding God's hesed. Every one of us spends our lives looking for hesed, looking for someone or something that we can attach ourselves to, to fulfill this need that we have for this unfailing, committed sort of love. We see this in Samson's life as he was ruled by his passions. He spends almost his entire life pursuing his desires for food and drink and women and power. And we do the same as Samson We fill our lives up with these other things, trying to satisfy the lust of our eyes and our bellies and our desire for sex or recognition or success or power or wealth or safety or security. All of those things we make as substitutes for the hesed of God that we were made for. 
All of those things, those idols, those, those addictions, all of them are an attempt for us to fill up the emptiness that we have in our own hearts that only God's hesed can fill. All of those things that we pursue are substitutes, poor substitutes for the hesed of God that is available to us. I heard someone say before, I think it was Dan Allender, a psychologist, who says that children are constantly asking two questions of their parents. Those questions are, do you love me and can I have my own way? Children are always asking these two questions of their parents. Mom and dad, do you love me and can I have my own way? And good parents consistently say yes to the first question and no to the second question. You and I, each of us in our own unique ways, spend our lives asking God these two questions. God, do you really love me? And can I have my own way? And God is a good and perfect parent. He is the good, good father. And he consistently says to us, yes, I love you. And no, you cannot have your own way because I love you. And your own way leads to death. Hesed is available to you. And you will not find it if you simply pursue your own way. But as I read Samson's story, as I think about his story, there is this nagging question that keeps coming up for me in my mind, and maybe in yours too. If God is going to have his way with Samson anyway, what's the point? If God is going to accomplish his purposes through Samson, whether Samson neglects his vows, neglects the law, disobeys his parents, does whatever he wants, Samson is for Samson. If he lives in that way and God's going to fulfill his purposes through him no matter what because of his hesed, then what's the point? What's going on in this story? Samson is disobedient to God. He ignores his Nazarite vow, which was God's given way for him to live his life. He wasn't faithful to the calling of, of God in his life at all, but God still consistently uses him for the purposes that he had for him, which was stated by God to be the beginning of the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. If God is going to fulfill his plans and purposes in Samson's life, whether he obeys these vows or not, what's the point? The first answer I had to this question is that maybe if Samson would have been obedient to God, that God would have done more through Samson. What if Samson would have cooperated with God? Could more have been done? There's one story that comes later in the chapter 15 where there are 3,000 men from Judah who come to Samson to talk to him about all that he's doing among the Philistines because Samson's making the Philistines angry and the Philistines are then making life harder on the Israelites. And so they come and they try to talk to him and basically say, we're going to arrest you and you need to relax and stop doing this. I just wonder if that moment... If Samson would have taken up actual leadership of these 3,000 men, what could have happened? Samson kills 1,000 men by himself with the jawbone of a donkey. 
If God could do that with one man, Samson, what if he would have allowed God to use him to lead 3,000 men into battle? If Samson would have cooperated with God, if he would have cooperated with his calling, maybe David wouldn't have had to worry about the Philistines 100 years later. If Samson would have been obedient to his calling and responded to God, maybe God would have done more through him. Maybe. We don't know. But here's the second answer that I came to this week. And this answer is what I know for sure. Because of Samson's disobedience, because of his persistent rebellion against God's calling in his life, because he found cheap substitutes for experiencing God's hesed, Samson missed out on enjoying the hesed of God. It was always there. It was always available to him, but he never received it and he never enjoyed it. John 15 verses 13 through 16. This is what Jesus says to his disciples and to us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Think about these verses in light of Samson's life. Let's just substitute Samson here. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you, Samson, are my friend if you do what I command. Samson, I no longer call you a servant because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, Samson, I have called you a friend for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, Samson. I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Friendship with God was available to Samson. Joy and partnership in God's work was available to him. God used Samson in his own mysterious way to bring about the purposes that he had planned for Samson and his life. But in Samson's life, there is no joy and there is no delight in his life. It's all greed and gain and anger and violence. And Samson's life ends in humiliation and death. Samson's apathy, his rebellion, his deliberate disobedience, it's not going to thwart the work that God wants to do through him. But Samson missed out on the joy that comes from being a friend of God. And that was available to him, but he never seems to have enjoyed it. He never seems to enjoy partnership with what God wanted to do. He was always ignorant of his master's business rather than being his friend and participating with him in the work that God had for him. We read throughout the scriptures that God is always at work behind the scenes in our lives and in the history of the world in ways that we don't see, in ways that we don't recognize. He's always at work turning what man intended to evil for his good. He is the potter. You are the clay. He will use you for the purposes and plans that he has for you, even if we never see or recognize or understand those on this side of eternity. But there is an invitation that is held out to us. And that invitation is a relationship with God. 
friendship with God through surrender to his will, through obedience. There is always this choice that is held out for us. Will we surrender to our will? Will we say yes to God's invitation to each one of us to live in relationship with him, as a partner with him, as a co-laborer with him? Or will we live according to our own will and our own desires and miss out on the joy that comes from being with God and living with him as his friend? So today I want to hold out this choice to every single one of us, and the worship team can come forward. I want to hold up this choice to every single one of us In what ways do you need to surrender to the will of God in your life? Last week, we held up our arms. Some of you said for far too long because your shoulders started to get tired. But we held up our arms as a a sign of surrender. What is God calling you to surrender to today so that you may walk in closer relationship and intimacy and friendship with him? I want to say to to those of you who are here today, maybe for some of you, the idea of friendship with God is new for you, that you've never heard that through Jesus, that a relationship with your creator is available. I want to say to you today is a day where you can make that choice that is held out to each one of us and to receive the gift of this relationship. And so today, as we're singing, if you would like to come forward and to receive prayer about something that you need to surrender in order that you may walk in relationship with him, or if this is the first time and you want to receive the gospel and receive this friendship today, I invite you to come forward and one of myself or one of our other leaders will pray for you about that. Let's pray together. God, we we thank you that you love us with a hesed love, a loyal, committed, never-ending, affectionate, loving kindness. Lord, we confess today that like Samson, we resist it, we run away from it, we fight against it. God, I pray that today that we, that we would receive it. I pray you would, you would teach us the gift of surrender to your will so that we can walk in friendship and partnership with you. In Jesus' name, amen.